0: another busy day? Time for a break? Meet you in the Tea Room. The Tea Room is the podcast for GPs where we delve into what matters most to you. Leading edge research, new treatment pathways, medical politics and how to build a better practice. Each week we share a cuppa with experts who spill the tea on what's hot in general practice right now. From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. This is the Tea Room. Well, what a week. The ABC9 newspaper story on Medicare rorting has, according to the Twitterverse, almost broken the spirit of a lot of GPs and maybe you too. So I hope you're listening to this week's episode with a nice cup of tea or coffee and taking a bit of break in the tea room. It's a mixed bag today. Firstly, we have Chris Irwin spelling the tea on what it was like at Tuesday's Wild Health Summit in Melbourne, where he sat on a panel discussing funding reform alongside Dr. Karen Price, our ACGP president, and Dr. Margaret Foe, who has found herself in the middle of a media storm around the investigations into Medicare. I was at the Wild Health Summit and saw the whole thing, but I'll leave it up to Dr. Irwin to share his experience. After Dr Irwin we'll chat with political reporter Francis Wilkins to give us a quick rundown on some of the other big stories coming out of Canberra but for now I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Chris Irwin, GP and President of the Australian Society of General Practice. Welcome Chris. So when you signed up to be on a funding reform panel at the conference, you probably didn't expect GPs being the target of a massive, pretty damning national news story at the same time.
1: No, absolutely not. I'm sure I I always try to... Think of perspectives and where people are coming from, and to assume good intentions as a rule. I think, I, I, I'm hopeful that Dr. Foe has been has been somewhat misled and misappropriated appropriated in terms of what her actual message is. It's it's a real shame because Dr. Fo decided to come to the uh, panel via video link, so we didn't really have the chance to. Uh, sit down with her and sort of talk to for her to explain exactly where this 30% misappropriation comes from, which is, of course, nonsense. But it's always good to hear uh, both sides of the story. Mm. Uh, so she wasn't there for that. And then also with Margaret to emphasise the severe emotional toll that such spurious accusations have on extremely hardworking doctors and, and GPs. So it's interesting. Uh, who,
0: it's interesting though that the, you know, we would say that those are accusations that that she has made. However, your point earlier around has she been, have her words been misappropriated? What's the has the angle of the news story overtaken what her message actually was?
1: Yeah, so as I said, I'm hopeful and I'm reaching out to Margaret to talk to her and, and to get her to explain in, in more detail. And hopefully I'll be able to talk to her soon about this specifically. But yeah, I I believe the the root of the story is that certain that have a predestined message that they wish to propagate because it, it it's a very it's a very convenient story to break one week before a budget that will fail the Australian public and GPs. So it's very convenient that the that the answer for uh, why Medicare is broken is not that. Governments of both persuasions have ripped nine billion dollars annually out of GP funding a year. It's that it's greedy doctors that is the problem,
0: right? And even if the timing, even if the timing is completely accidental or coincidental, it is really bad timing for the campaign to get more money into patient rebates, which which many GPs have been pushing for just when the momentum's been building. Hey, so how do? back to the back to the panel in the audience I did feel at certain times I think it was it was very diplomatic but there were certain times where I could just I sensed I thought the tension is rising was that your experience as well or is that just in my imagination?
1: I personally felt angry upset and betrayed so I was trying extremely hard not to uh, not to say anything which I would regret. Once again, I always try to look for the, the positives and, and 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 potential the potential side to tell the story. But the immense harm that's been done to the mental health of general practice cannot be overstated. On the day that this news broke, I literally spent the entire afternoon talking to GPs who were alternately outraged or in tears about how disrespected they felt. With going back to the government as well, in terms of, I think it also just shows the relationship with government that we have and the true allegiances, I suppose, in that the first words from the government were We'll investigate this and find if any you know, doctors are rorting and what needs to be sort of sorted to stop this, as opposed to the Department of Health speaking to politicians. The Department of Health obviously has a decades worth of experience with regards to the PSR and the head of the PSR would be able to tell politicians within minutes that these claims are ludicrous, especially some of Dr. Foe's comments regarding that many payments under $100 open quote just slip under the radar. The entire assertion that this is somehow slipping under the radar is just so bizarre. It it puts into question why these claims were even taken seriously by organizations that should be should be a, a true, yeah, fact checking true journalistic organizations. This was a hit job that was more in keeping with an article from a current affair, as opposed to theoretically a good journalist from the age or the Sydney Morning Herald. I'm just shocked and appalled. So it, how it'll do, be shown out for what it is.
0: So how do doctors, especially GPs, fight back against this kind of a narrative?
1: I mean, well, this is what I've been saying for some time and hopefully with time as I'm being constantly proven correct, more and more GPs will listen and it will start to become more organized. The The fact of the matter is, is that the agenda of the government and our agenda are fundamentally opposed. And when you have competing agendas, there will always be conflict. The government's agenda is cost containment. Ours is providing excellent GP-led quality care. So we need to become organized politically. We need to engage professional lobbyists to better handle these issues with the public and also politicians. And also, I think the RSCGP and AMA Also need to get a bit more teeth with due respect to my colleagues in the RSCGP and AMA who have responded. In my personal opinion, the responses from these organizations were very muted in terms of they essentially said some variation of, you know, this is, you know, this is this isn't a good look. You know, we we don't no doctors should be defrauding the system.
0: So the Australian Society for General Practice, of which you are the founder, and one of the founders and president, gearing mm. up for a pretty serious lobbying effort in Canberra. I remember that one of your, when you were a candidate for president for the RACGP, mm. you, you offered that your entire presidential salary would go towards lobbying. So yes. what will be the main thrust of the lobbying through the Australian Society of General Practice? And has this media well, storm it- changed any of that?
1: i I think what this media storm has shown is that that we need to professionally lobby government and the public, and that this needs to be proactive as opposed to reactive. What happens currently is when there's an absolute bombshell like this, the r a c g p n a may come out and and say something. But for the vast majority of time, it's the government and other forces like the pharmacy guild that are allowed to control the narrative. And when the entire narrative is controlled ninety to ninety-five percent of the time by people that do not share your agenda of providing excellent healthcare that is GP-led for Australians, obviously there's going to be a difficulty responding to crises when you are purely reactive to those crises. So. My my fundamental belief is that we need to be proactive with regards to our professional lobbying. You know, we've met with the federal shadow health minister recently, and we will hopefully sort of meet soon with the health minister. We need to, we'll also be meeting again with the independents like OCOC that we've had great discussions with already. But That is just part of the initial foundations of what lobbying is. Anyone can say sweet nothings to a politician and any politician will listen to that without showing their true intentions. So we need power behind the sweet nothings that we're trying to sow. And you only get power through money and membership. So the Pharmacy Guild you know, Has various uh, at, at its federal state at least, you know, has revenue that far toward, that is far smaller than the GP by a factor of ten or so, and we can see in terms of how utterly uh, effective the pharmacy guild is for true professional lobbying for GPs. We need millions of dollars. And thousands of members of so, ASGP.
0: How many members do you have so far in the ASGP?
1: So, so we've got around 300 members at the moment. And you're obviously pushing
0: for that to strengthen so that you can go into Canberra with a bit more punch. Um,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Because you need you need membership. And you need money to be able to influence politicians and uh, and with the public as well.
0: Were there any ideas from the World Health Summit that you thought were of merit or that, I guess, concur with your own ideas around how we can innovatively reform funding?
1: I mean, there are fantastic ideas. There are fantastic ideas. The main problem though. So speaking at the summit, there's a lot of discussion, for example, in outca- uh, outcomes based funding, which is a nice euphemism for various forms of capitation and KPIs. Now, from a, from a, a payer's point of view and, and the population's point of view, there are efficiencies to be gained through outcome based uh, payments. Problem is, and that's what I was trying to explain before. Like, the problem is if your agenda and the payer's agenda are fundamentally any movement towards potentially utopian optimal funding models will have the long-term effect of funding cuts and decreased autonomy within general practice that will lead to the destruction of general practice.
0: So do you think all this negative attention might have a slight upside in perhaps uniting the profession a bit more?
1: I I try to look for any silver lining to any cloud. So so, 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 to the extent, to the extent that general practice funding is admittedly in crisis, and to the extent that more and more leaders within the RACGP that truly believe capitation without any political teeth to ensure the government is kept honest, more and more these people are being shown to perhaps have their ideas wrong, and are more and more coming to the understanding that it's a hostile environment for general practice and that we need to be smart. So to that extent, potentially these things are good because they show general practice before it's too late, that there is a lot of danger out there for our patients if we are not united enough and organised enough politically to fight back this rubbish.
0: It it sounds though that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're Mm. kind of saying that yeah okay there's a lot of ideas around capitation or different funding models for general practice but none of that will work because we don't trust the government we just need more fee for service we just need to boost medicare rebates
1: so to oversimplify things drastically yes so i i believe i believe that in the current state of the current state of complete political ineptitude that general practice is in, that any move from fee-for-service will be a disaster for general practice funding. It will just give government more tools to move, shift goalposts, increase KPIs, cut funding in real terms while deceiving the population. That's my fundamental belief. I think it's much more complicated, though, than simply saying, oh, you know, increase rebates. We have to realise, of course, that simply increasing rebates that will never happen.
0: But why is then, why would there be more cost, more ability to cost cut with an outcome-based model than is already with Medicare? I mean, things are getting cut left, right and centre for the current model. Yeah, so yeah, why so, would it be, so, why is the other model more vulnerable?
1: So, so say, for example, a consult is funded $40 by the government. The government can't reduce that to $30 and say with a straight face to the population that we're increasing funding to Medicare because the population will know that's an outright mistruth. If you have outcomes or capitation-based funding, what you can extremely easily do as a government is change the KPI to get that funding.
0: Lots of food for thought there. Funding reform, definitely something we need to have a cover over again in the near future. Dr. Chris Irwin, any final words before we wrap up?
1: Uh, The the final words I, I would like every single GP to think about is where do we want this profession in a decade or two decades and what steps do we have to start doing now? Uh, to achieve what we want, which is excellent GP-led healthcare going into the 21st century. So I fundamentally believe that every GP, every practice manager, every nurse that is listening has a moral authority to stand up for our patients. And the time is now for us as a united voice uh, to ensure that our patients are protected through adequate general practice funding into the future so please stand up and be heard uh, anyone i'm always available to anyone uh to have a chat uh and um you know so if people are interested if people have got concerns if you want to do something reach out to me uh either on facebook via email it's easy to find me that's
0: great. Right. thank you very much for your time dr Crusoe.
1: thank you very much it was an absolute pleasure
0: Now we're joined by political reporter at the Medical Republic, Francis Wilkins, to give us a roundup of other political wrangles across the nation. Thanks for joining us, Francis.
2: It's a pleasure, Wendy, as always.
0: Earlier this month, the RACGP held its so-called crisis summit. What came out of that?
2: Well, short answer is not very much. We're not really big fans, are we, of summits, of task force, of working groups, all this sort of stuff. And the reason for that is they very often don't go anywhere. And I I think it's fair to say that there's nothing really new came out of this crisis summit in terms of policy anyway the RACGP president adjunct Professor Karen Price has called for an immediate and substantial increase in Medicare patient rebates. That's probably not new and she's also asked for an increase the bulk bidding incentive to the tune of two or three times, which is also not new. What probably is more significant is or, or interesting maybe is something that Dr. Nicole Higgins mentioned to me and she's the incoming president obviously.
0: Well, you had a good chat with Dr. Nicole Higgins when you interviewed her last
2: month? I did, that's right. And her point was that at this summit there there's a very large number of healthcare professionals there about 120. 20, I think. And she said, uh, whilst these sort of calls for more funding and so on, and the fact that we're in crisis are not new, what she noticed was that the delegates to the summit were very much, they were angry and they were despondent. But this is the first time she'd seen them all in a room together, if you like. And I suppose when you're surrounded by your peers and you all have that same emotion of real worry about the profession, then that, that can be sort of a galvanizing force. Now, the question, of course, is where does that go? It's got to translate into some sort of action. And I think that's really what will be the challenge now. Certainly, uh, critics of this kind of event, who I spoke to afterwards, were actually pleasantly surprised. They said they'd had uh, good conversations on the sidelines. And th- maybe this will be the basis, at least, for some sort of political action. But I think in the summit, per se, there's probably not too much to see here.
0: Last month, nurse practitioners found themselves at odds with the AMA. What was happening there?
2: Yeah, that's interesting because the AMA has made a submission to a review that's currently going into the collaborative arrangements between nurse practitioners and GPs. Now, these collaborative arrangements stem back, I think, about 10 years now. And they basically allow nurse practitioners access to limited access to MBS items. But this is all contingent on having a collaborative arrangement with the GPs with whom the, the nurse practitioners are working. That, that sounds okay, but the problem is they're only able to sort of do a limited amount of work. They're not practicing to full scope, if you like. And the AMA has said, well, we need to keep these collaborative arrangements in place, which has angered the nurse practitioners because they say they can do a lot more. They are more highly skilled than they're currently sort – of, they're, they're not taking full advantage of their skills – and I think they don't like the sort of undercurrent or the underlying thought behind this. I think they're, they're, they're seeing this as based on a very old fashioned model where the doctor leads, the nurse follows. Uh, there's, you could argue there's a gender issue there as well, maybe. And so that's, that's sort of what has caused this uh, bit of a kerfuffle. So the, the nurse practitioners have hit back, as I wrote in my article, and they're not happy about it at all
0: but i've also interviewed gps who are desperate for the nurses in their clinics to be able to do more i interviewed just recently a junk professor parish doda who is he's a gp and the director of next practice medical center and he was saying that the bureaucracy the red tape that prohibits nurses from being able to save time overall for the clinic was just incredibly frustrating
2: Well, that's right. And I think the the nurse practitioner's beef is not with GPs at all. On the contrary, they do point out that most GPs are very, very supportive of them and what they do. And given the crisis in the workforce, you would expect that they would be welcomed into the fold and, and would be able to supply a lot of extra hands and a lot of extra skills to clinics.
0: So what's driving this? Like there must be some sort of strong rationale behind this. It doesn't make sense on the outside, but what's behind it?
2: You know, to be honest, I'm mystified by this. And I think the other thing that's worth noting is this review has come at a time when Professor Steve Robson's just only recently taken up his role at the AMA as president. This is a very unusual pronouncement, if you like, to come out with so early in his presidential career, because it effectively puts offside a very significant body, a very important part of the workforce. So I'm a bit mystified as to why he he did that. I think it might have just been... Maybe he was with respect having an off day or misread the room or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit odd. And I, as I said, I don't think it reflects probably opinions within the wider GP profession.
0: Another story, floods have been in the news for months now and again in New South Wales this week. What's the current situation about how flood affected GPs are faring?
2: Well, it's a mess, isn't it? And I think we're maybe we're reaching the point where we're just so over it that the, the tragedy and the seriousness doesn't sink in. But we do have a story, and that was that was one written by my colleague Holly Payne, and this was back in, actually, just last month now. Now she's been following this very closely, and up in Lismore, and we know what a mess Lismore has been, the Keene Street Clinic there, it was literally underwater. They, they lost everything in, in March in the northern New South Wales floods equipment, furniture, everything, and apparently 30,000 medical records as well, which is not insignificant. Now, they were eligible for government grants to the tune of $50,000. That's for each practitioner, the four practitioners there, and also one for the business. So that comes to quarter of a million, but that's not a whole hill of beans when you consider the amount of damage that was done. So they were, they were not too happy about that. Now, the problem here i think is the level of commitment and the which is really sorely lacking on the part of the state government. Now, there are larger grants of 200,000, I believe, but these are only available to businesses with a minimum number of employees. So, they're not eligible for those those grants yet. So, what a group of peak bodies. I think the AMA, Crum, the RACGP, and I believe even the Pharmacy Guild are on board as well, is to put together a proposal that would support them, well, support any healthcare professional organizations actually with being for being eligible for a slightly larger grant to really give them genuine support. And I, I think the uh, Rural Doctors Network of New South Wales were involved as well. But I think the bigger picture here is, is a concerning one. It, it, it goes to the fact that GPs are an important part of the emergency response to disasters, whether it's floods or fires, whatever, they're, they're essential. You know, they get places back on their feet. They provide emergency treatment rooms maybe in, you know, shops or parish halls or things like that. And that's not really uh, recognized by governments either at the federal or the state level. And uh, I think this is something that uh, GPs are, want to have changed. And th- that, that's not just in terms of recognition, in terms of policy, but actually in funding as well. They, they really need to get more funding so they can handle these disasters, not just in the aftermath of Lismore and the, the north New South Wales areas, but also for future ones. Without that funding, they really aren't able to get back on their feet quickly and provide a service to the community.
0: The other thing that the floods have highlighted is the need for data sharing for all medical records to be in the cloud for that interoperability to happen. You know, 30,000 medical records, that shouldn't have to happen with the technology that we have in Australia in this day and age.
2: It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? That number of records being lost, You know, which, which century are we in, you have to ask yourself.
0: A couple of other stories. Now, we've made some inroads into managing cowboy cosmetic surgeons with the national law now passed in Queensland Parliament, confirming that customer testimonials remain illegal. And APRA, the regulator, has been in the spotlight since we last spoke. Want to hear about that? The Victorian branch of the AMA has called for a royal commission into APRA. That's
2: a bit of a bold move, Francis. The reason they did that is there's a lot of dischantment, not just in the AMA Victoria, but throughout the profession nationally about the way APRA operates you know it it, it lacks transparency in the in the eyes of many people those under investigation by APRA can have a terrible time of it you know it's a stressful process it can potentially affect uh, the way they practice it can it can ruin careers and I, I think we're getting to the point where uh practitioners will say, well, enough is enough. We need to look at APRA and the way they operate. And a Royal Commission in the eyes of AMA Victoria was the way to go with that. Now, it was actually not accepted by federal AMA. They they didn't want a commission, but I don't think this is something that is going to go away. And also something that I'm following at the moment, in fact, I was just putting the final full stop to it before just before we spoke, was the... Um, other key regulatory body or investigative body, rather, the Professional Services Review, the PSR, and they're not exactly flavor of the month either. So I think we'll see some interesting coverage of that around about this time. There's a few interesting developments, which I probably shouldn't discuss at this stage, but maybe in a subsequent edition of the Tea Room and definitely in the Medical Republic newsletter, there'll be things about the PSR. So look out for those.
0: Well, we'll definitely have to get you back in the Tea Room, to get the intel on that sometime soon. In the meantime, Francis, thank you for your time. Thanks for the political roundup today.
2: Always a pleasure, Wendy, and look forward to uh, talking again in a few weeks.
0: That was Francis Wilkins, political reporter at the Medical Republic. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining us in the Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at, wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.